Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. Today, we're doing the fourth installment of our Tartan Talk series, and joining us is Damian Pascuso of Pascuso Pate Golf Design. Damian is a past American Society of Golf Course Architects president. He's based out in California, and we thought we'd bring him on to the series to talk about golf and water and some of the things he's seen over the years. Thanks for joining us, and how is uh, the end of your 2016 going, and what are you excited about moving into 2017? Uh, well, thanks for having me. 2016's been terrific. Looking forward to a, a busy end of the year and a busy start to 2017. And we're actually getting a little rain in California this week, so uh, we're obviously excited about that. Well, great. I'm bringing you on to Tartan Talks when you're actually getting the thing that you haven't had for the last five years, so uh, that's great timing. I, I think you may have influenced it. I wish I had that power. Explain what the water situation was like when you first became a golf course architect compared to how it is now, especially on the West Coast. started my career with uh, Robert Muir Graves back in 82, and at that time, water was not that big of an issue for us. We were in the early stages of using reclaimed water on golf courses. I think we spent most of our time convincing people that that was the right thing to do. And some of the municipal work we were doing, we were mandated, but it was not, it was, certainly wasn't the common thing that we experienced today. And then in the, uh, on other projects where we were using uh, groundwater or raw water, there was never an issue of supply. It was, uh, it was <laughs> generally we were making sure that we had enough uh, lakes on the golf course to store the, the amount of irrigation water we needed. And, you know, in California, in a, in a really hot summer, you'll use 800,000 to maybe 1.2 million gallons of water a night. So we were more focused on uh, lake capacity and drawdown and replenishment. On the irrigation side, I think in that, in that 70s into the 80s period, you, you saw irrigation systems going from, well, there was, I can still remember clients that used quick couplers and night watermen, which is a very inefficient way to water. Going from single row systems to triple row systems, that was a real luxury if you could go three rows. Focus on conservation really didn't start happening until probably 20 years later, I would say. And what type of shock was that to everybody? I mean, you mentioned that people were used to doing things a certain way for a long time. Explain that initial shock when people realized that maybe things would have to be done a bit differently. I would say that it was a response to, to, to conditions that, that stayed with us. You know, California is now in the fifth year uh, of a drought. And it's not unusual for us to have one or two dry years followed by three or four wet years. But to go through a five-year drought really woke a lot of people up. So I think the golf industry out here, at least, has done a pretty good job of responding uh, to that situation. The, um, the California Alliance for Golf which is an industry group out here, really started back in 2010, working with public utilities and local governments, setting up these local water task forces. And maybe more than other industries, the golf industry was uh, was quicker to react in recognizing the problem and then starting starting to work with the agencies to find uh, solutions that would, that would work for everybody. In your mind, what are some of the biggest changes to the landscape of a golf course that have been induced by water? The first thing we saw was people moving away from overseeding. I started seeing that probably eight to 10 years ago. It may have happened a little bit earlier than that, especially in the private club market. Superintendents were, were advocating to reduce overseeding and eventually phase it out. 
And the members had a tough time understanding that. Then, of course, as the drought continued, they were much more willing to, to do that. So that was probably the first thing that I saw in sort of the changing landscape, if you will. And then a few years ago, the, the water agencies, especially in Southern California, started offering rebates to the large water users to convert turf to something else. And I think it had been happening in the Las Vegas area even prior to that. Quite a few golf courses took advantage of that because they, with the rebates that were being offered, they could, they could do it at pretty much a zero net cost to them. Take turf out of irrigation, replace it with either native plants or some other type of, of ground cover, and then it, it saved them water and uh, reduced their costs and then reduced the, the water consumption for the entire community. And it was a good thing because golf courses are big target. We were doing turf reductions from eight acres up to 30 acres and doing one project where let's say we took 20 acres out of ir- uh, irrigated turf out. That's the equivalent of you know probably a few thousand homes you know, replacing their landscape with something that is is uh, not water intensive. So with one project, we could have a pretty big impact. And have seen a lot of that in the last few years. It's, it's tapering off a little bit because not all of the uh, agencies are offering the rebates anymore, but you know, some of our clients are still moving ahead with it, just paying for it out of their own pocket. Speaking of homes, how do you communicate with homeowners that maybe the golf course has to look a bit different because of a situation that's out of everybody's control? Communication, whether it's with the the community and, uh, as a as a whole, or your members or your daily fee players, is absolutely critical uh, in the success of these projects. And um, it's hard to argue with facts. So if you present the facts, uh, people are generally very understanding. And we do it. We've seen it done in a number of ways. Whether it's the the monthly newsletter to members explaining to them the situation, the the government mandated cutbacks, how it's going to impact the golf course and, and why things are brown that never used to be brown before. Very, very important. A lot of times we'll do exhibits that we put up in the in the clubhouse uh, so that people can see what's going on. And I think the response has been very good. Uh, everybody's aware of the water situation that we're in right now. And so when you explain to them what you are doing, they seem to jump on on board to support the project. They, they completely understand it. Communication is key. If you try to do it in a vacuum, though, you're probably headed for disaster. You started doing these for some other companies. How are they looking four, five, six, seven years down the road? How are some of these native areas that use less water, how have they matured on some of the courses you've worked with? They've matured very nicely. And I think the important fact that everybody needs to understand is that Simply because you are not, you've taken it out of turf grass, does not make it no maintenance. No water does not equal no maintenance. If, in fact, it's just the opposite. These areas require as much or even more maintenance to suppress the weeds and keep them uh, from being so overgrown. Turf grass, we're mowing it constantly to, to maintain an appearance. Well, that same concept has to translate to these native areas where shrubs and trees grow. And you can go from a situation that's playable to a situation that's unplayable in about four months. You do have to, you do have to stay with it. But other than that, it's, it's, I would say it's gone pretty well. You know, we always focus on the areas that are really out of play. You start there and, and the places where you'd have to hit the ball just dead sideways to get it there. Take advantage of those, those easy areas, the, the low hanging fruit, if you will, and make 
be really, really aggressive, you start looking at areas between the tees or in front of the tees that require the golfer to, to uh, have a forced carry. In most instances that we've been involved in, if you simply look at those those tertiary areas, those third-level roughs and out-of-play areas, it can reduce your water consumption quite a bit. You, the acres add up pretty fast. And, of course, you're trying to work within the existing irrigation head layout as much as you can without, so you're not having to move a bunch of, of sprinkler heads around. But it's, it's not real hard to find 10 or 15 acres pretty easily. And then on some of the bigger parcels, you know, some of these golf courses that were built in the 60s and 70s run big parcels of land. They've got a lot of areas that are not in play that, that have irrigation coverage. Uh, and it just, you know, a good example of that is if you look at the, the study that Jim Moore did when he was with the USGA on the areas around the tees and how much area that is not in play is getting irrigated and how if you fine-tune your irrigation, you can really be much more focused on the playable areas. Uh, I think that's a fantastic example of that illustrates the, the, the point I'm trying to make. Obviously, there have been some changes, too, in the water sources being used by, by golf courses. How, how has that affected golf out west? We're seeing more courses use recycled water, more courses dipping into wells and reservoirs that they never have had to deal with. How, is, how has that changed golf in the west? Well, it's, it really depends upon where you're at because, uh, you know, just in California, there's dozens of different water agencies. I want to say it's over 50 different water purveyors uh, within the state. So everybody's got different sources, and what, uh, so you really have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. Some of the, the, the broader changes we're seeing, though, are putting meters on, on wells now, either existing wells or um, in those jurisdictions that are still allowing you to drill new ones. Uh, if you're drilling a new one, you got to put a meter on it also. A lot of jurisdictions have just said, no more new wells. Yeah, the politics of water out west is crazy. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a novel in and of itself. Some of these places, these, these areas that are getting Colorado River water, supplemented by Metropolitan Water District water, literally one golf course on one side of the street could have different regulations than a golf course across the street. The sources are varied, and you really have to look at it case by case to work with your client figure out the best solution you can. Where do you see it headed? Do you see, I know you're not a weather forecaster, but let's say we continue the lack of rainfall we've had the last five years. If that continues for another five years, where, where do you see it headed? Is it a situation where people that operate and maintain golf courses need to keep planning for, for no water? What are your thoughts on the future of the relationship between golf and water out west? Golf and water is going to be interlinked for years, whether we get five years of heavy rainfall or not. It, it is a it is a long-term relationship. I think in the worst case scenario, if we continue in another five or six years of, of, of low rainfall and drought, it's going to be, here's what's happening. Golf courses are conserving water. So the revenue to the water agencies is reduced because a lot of these agencies have no other revenue source. Their budgets are getting cut, so they have to wait, raise water rates, which is an interesting business model is that you provide your client less services, but you get to charge more money. Um, in, in some ways, you're getting penalized for doing the right thing and penalizing for, penalized for being successful. And it, on the consumer side of things, there's, there's some real blowback about rates doubling or tripling over the next five years on a graduated scale. That's going to impact operating budgets of these golf courses. And you couple that with the minimum wage going up over, uh, over the next five years, a lot of operators have some very difficult business decisions to deal with. 
fees, it's hard to say, marketplace will take care of that on its own. I could absolutely see a situation where business plan simply no longer works. Now you've got to, you've got to do something. You got to either close it or you repurpose the golf course or you do something else. Now I'm talking right now to one of the, uh, the counties here in California that lost 50% of their water. Their source was actually a uh, reclaimed source. Production is, is, is dropped by 50%. And they're looking at closing nine holes, so the 18-hole golf course. They're now exploring how that land can be repurposed and can it have a golf element to it? And if what, you know, if not, uh, what do we do besides golf? So I think that is a situation that many, many operators could be facing five, six, ten years from now if we have a continued decline in water supply. Hopefully, we get a lot of lot of rain, a lot of snowfall in the Sierras and in the Rockies, and because uh, out west, that's where most of our water comes from is is from snowpack. And at least we can we have a little bit of time to figure this situation out a little bit more. But I do think retail golfer is going to become more used to the idea of reduced amounts of turf. Uh, I think they'll become accustomed to native areas, uh, mulch areas, that type of thing on the golf course. Big conflict, I think, is going to be with those people that buy golf course homes. Let's take, for instance, uh, the, the Palm Springs area. Uh, people have seasonal homes down there on the golf course, and they bought into a situation where they had green grass right up to their patio, and they paid a premium for that. And now you have to convince them that you're not going to have green grass next to your patio or for 30 yards within your patio, you know, within 30 yards of your patio, it's going to be something else. Those conversations are going to be difficult. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure how it's going to have to be worked out on a case-by-case basis, but I think inevitably that's what's going to happen is those facilities which sold that green environment are now going to have to scale back and they're going to have to bring in the homeowners into the conversation and find a solution that works for everybody. There's certainly a lot to think about, but not everything's dour. How enjoyable are some of these new look golf courses play and just stare at the landscape? I mean, I live in the Midwest. I've played golf out in California a few times this year. There's some fun, cool stuff going on. No doubt about it. I, I mean, I think as a designer, first of all, it presents you with a whole other set of challenges, which can be intriguing to the designer and, and I think you can come up with some creative solutions. And I also think that the, I think there's an acceptance by the millennials and the Gen Xers as to what's going on. I I think, you know, my generation was probably the first one that was in school when the word ecology was coined. We sort of grew up with the idea of protecting the environment. And I think from my generation to the younger kids, there's there's some more acceptance of golf courses that aren't wall-to-wall green. The the Augusta model, if you will. there's more acceptance of the anti-Augusta model. And to their credit, I think we've seen some national championships played on some venues that, that promoted that idea. So it, it's definitely helped uh, helped change minds out there. But yeah, there are some very cool golf courses that, that can be played. And, you know, really, again, it doesn't, if you go back to the most fundamental tenets of, of golf design, golfer's object or his challenge is to Look at the hazards that face him and avoid the hazards. Negotiate his way through the hazards to get to the green. So whether that's three or four bunkers, whether it's some native areas, some native plantings, whatever, the challenge, the, the, the tenets of the game don't change. Unfortunately, I think there's always going to be the, that segment of our, of our players that feel they can hit it anywhere and should be able to find it and still you know, 
experience can can make force you to push the envelope a little bit, think differently, uh, which is always fun. One other thing, there have been some tremendous resources that have come out recently describing the relationship between golf and water. What are some places in your mind somebody can go to to, to learn more about these things? And I know the ASGCA put out some case studies earlier this year. Yeah, exactly. The uh, ASGCA came out with a uh, golf and water booklet, studies on water, water stewardship. And I think it's an excellent document that uh, is accessible through the website, ASGCA.org gives you some nice background uh, into the situation as well as I think five or six different uh, case studies. The USGA has a lot of resources on their website. So there's there's a lot of information out there for superintendents that need to help sort of uh, maybe introduce this to their club, introduce the concept to their club or to their golf course. Uh, and of course, simply contacting ASGCA headquarters. Those folks are happy to help direct you to some local golf course architects that can that can uh, be on your team and, and help you get through this situation. Well, thanks for joining us, Damien. And we didn't even get to this in the podcast, but you're doing a lot of work in Japan. Good luck with your travels. Good luck with your work there and your work domestically. And I'll see what I can do about the rain situation in California, like we joked at the beginning of the podcast. I'll try to work my, uh, my sources to see what I can do to, to repeat what you're having right now. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Superintendent Radio Network, the podcast of Golf Course Industry Magazine, a production of GIE Media. I've been your host, Guy Cipriano. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes or the SRN page of golfcourseindustry.com. Talk to us at srn at gie.net or at GCI Magazine on Twitter. Thanks for listening.